Uh, Before we uh, look at the text here in John 19, in light of what we've just sung together, I want you to close your eyes, not getting mystical or anything. I want you to close your eyes, and I want to read parts of Isaiah 53 before we go back to John 19. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom the men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But... He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned, everyone, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And he married his grave with the wicked, with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet, yet, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Amen. Jesus, having been crucified, hanging on the cross, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, To tell us die. It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Peter preached at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. He said, this Jesus delivered up to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So his death, in one sense, was indeed evil. 
as wicked men crucified him for crimes he did not commit. They murdered the Son of God. Yet, at the same time, the death of Jesus was very, very good. Very good. Because it was the divine, sovereign plan of God. The very means by which we are saved. The very means by which we're gathered here uh, this evening. So, the sense in which makes Good Friday good is that the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was the definitive plan of God for before the foundation of the earth so that your soul could be saved from suffering in hell for eternity. That's why Good Friday is good. So we don't sit here filled on, on Friday night with, with insecurity and uncertainty regarding the death of our Lord Jesus Christ as did the first disciples that night, that next day. Good Friday is good because this is the day, this is the day that, that was the plan for the fullness of time. The fullness of time, the Son of God came, and the Son of God came for this purpose. To live a life that upholds the law of God perfectly, and then to lay his life down as a substitutionary sacrifice. It's the hour for which Jesus came to say, to tell us die. That's the, the Greek word, it is finished. That means it is finished. So that one word is why we call the Friday before Easter good. It is finished. The triumphal shout of our Lord Jesus Christ, who alone accomplished everything required in order to gain salvation for sinners like you and me. It's good. All people are sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We've earned our wage. No sinner can earn it. No sinner can measure up or prove themselves worthy of being accepted by God. It's impossible. You cannot perform well enough in this life for God to accept you. You cannot perform enough religious activity. You cannot go through proper liturgy. You can't have enough scripture memorized in order to show yourself acceptable to God. Now, If you're going to succeed in this life, setting and achieving certain goals, most certainly, whether it's in business or athletics or in the arts, uh, that kind of striving certainly unlocks the doors for success, for achievement, for professional identity, for professional favor. That's a good thing. We would agree with that. I think we would agree with that. That's a good thing. Many boys grow up playing football from the time of Pop Warner on, and they have in their mind a goal. And the goal for some is to make it to the pros. The goal for others is to get to college, to get a scholarship, a full ride to a university to play football. So they strive, and they have to measure up, and they have to prove themselves. And perhaps they receive that scholarship. Others who go unrecognized, don't receive a scholarship, they they may walk on. It's called 
he was a walk-on. That means he walks into the camp, the training camp, and he performs in order to prove that he can measure up. To prove himself that he can hold the position. And then if he makes it through the college ranks, his next goal is to make it to the pros. And then every February, because I follow football, sorry for those of you who don't, every February they hold in Indianapolis what's called the Combine, the NFL Combine. And that's where all these collegiate players, not all are invited, those who are invited have to go through this week-long showcase of measuring up, proving themselves. performing physically, performing mentally, in order to be accepted, in order to be recognized by coaches and staff and scouts of the NFL. Many of us in this life have to constantly measure up you know, where we work and where we serve. Whatever we do, we, we have to prove ourselves. We have to strive. And that can bear a lot of fruit, amen? So that's a good thing. See, the problem comes, the danger comes when measuring up or striving or when we allow the the competitive juices of personal achievement for the sake of meaning, for the sake of identity, when we allow them to bleed over into our understanding of who God is, who we are, and how he accepts us. That's a problem. Trying to prove yourself. Before this God, then everything gets turned on its head. That's where religion comes from. There is no way anyone can possibly measure up to God's standards. And there's only one God. There's one way to God. You cannot measure up. There is no level of success that will somehow move God to recognize you to where he says, I see you, big fella. Your striving's good. You bear a lot of fruit. I accept you based on your performance. I recognize those notches in your belt. I I, I recognize your religious activity. I recognize all that you do, proving yourself. Now you can enter in. After all, you have finished what I started. I mean, after all, you know, you've heard it said that I help those who help themselves. That is not in the Bible, by the way. God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. The foolish words of men. The moment Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished for us. For you, it's finished. Verse 28, after this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished, he said, I thirst. Notice after this, we'll we'll get to it is finished in a minute, a few minutes. But notice, it says after this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished. The the after this is the taking care of his mother, right down, who's looking up at him. His duty to his mother, his beloved disciple, John, is there, and he says, Behold, 
mother, behold, woman, your son. He wasn't referring to himself. He was referring to John. I now hand you over to John. John, this is now your mother. You now care for my mother. See that in verses 26 and 27. So knowing that God's plan for everything was done, yet Jesus realized, Jesus knows, Jesus is the Son of God, that there is still Scripture left that is unfulfilled. Knowing that all Scripture directly points to him, Jesus said with an unimaginable parched mouth and and throat, he said, I thirst. Anyone who was crucified would suffer this extreme kind of parched dehydration. He says, I thirst. So here now, the one, if you've been with us through Exodus, the one who supplied water from a rock in the wilderness for the children of Israel, he was that rock, now says, I thirst, fulfilling Psalm 69, verse 21, which is a messianic psalm describing the anguish of Jesus, God's righteous servant. He says, I thirst. Psalm 69, 21, for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Prophesied. And here, verse 29, a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on hyssop branch, and they held it to his mouth. Now, this isn't the wine that's mixed with myrrh that they offered Jesus when he was carrying his cross. That was more of a painkiller. That was more of a, an anesthetic to kind of deaden the pain, and Jesus refused that. This is sour wine. It's just cheap, everyday kind of wine. And the soldiers commonly carried this around with them. So when he said, I thirst, they gave him this sour wine. It was prophesied that they would give him sour wine. Here it is. Verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head. And gave up his spirit. You know, none of the gospel writers say that Jesus died. Actually. Between the four of them, they use different expressions. Matthew, he says, he gave up his spirit. Mark says, he breathed his last. Luke says, Father, Luke records it as, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And John, his is the most striking. He bowed his head and gave up the spirit. Gave up is the verb paradidomi, which means to hand over. It means to yield up. John uses the same word uh, regarding Barabbas, the priest, Pilate, the soldiers, when they handed over Jesus. When they gave Jesus over. So John uses the term again here now uh, of Jesus willingly handing over his spirit to the Father, and his body over to death. He really died. He had to. Now, in the natural order of, thing, in, in the natural order of kings, when, when a, a normal human being dies, he gives up his spirit, and then he bows his head. Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The point is, is that no one took his life. He was in absolute control of the time he would die. No man takes my life, Jesus said, right? I, I, I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up again. He laid down his life. He gave up his life. 
Death did not claim Jesus as a victim. If you're here today, beloved, dear friends, visitors, if you think that Jesus died as a victim, think again. He seized death as victor. He was no martyr. He is master. Never see Jesus as a martyr. This is why he came. To die and to say, it is finished. Again, in the Greek, it's one word, to telestai, which means something rendered, something accomplished, something paid. It's finished. So he had finished everything, everything he was sent from heaven to do, That the first of which was to be born of a virgin, to be born of a woman, to become a human being, this eternal second person of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the eternal second person of the Godhead, became a man. Everything that he came to do, upholding the law, we'll look at all these things, he finished, so he bowed his head, he gave up his spirit, he controlled his own death. He controlled the hour. Remember they tried to kill him numerous times? We looked at it last Lord's Day. They tried to kill him. They tried to stone him, but they could not put him to death because it wasn't in his hour. This was his hour. All that needed to be done was done. Everything necessary for your salvation has been accomplished. It is finished. So what's finished? What is the it? (laughs) What's the it? Well, that's what we're going to look at. We don't have enough time to look at all the it's. We have about 27 minutes. So we'll look at, seven's a good number, right? It's the number of completion, number of perfection. First thing he fulfilled, it is finished. First thing that was finished is that he fulfilled all prophecy. Every prophetic promise written regarding the Messiah, the coming one, the promised one, he fulfilled. As far as redemption goes. Throughout the Old Testament, there were prophecies that one would come. There would be a redeemer. There would be a deliverer. There would be, as we read, Isaiah's suffering servant, God's suffering servant. As through the pen of Isaiah, the Messiah would appear. He would rescue a people for himself. He would save us. He would save his people. He would come for his sheep. He would save them. He would deliver them. He would establish a new kingdom. Amen? He's established that kingdom. He would deliver us from evil. For his is the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So there were promises that were also hidden in what we call types and shadows. Amen? We've seen numerous types and shadows um, in our study through, through Exodus and back in Genesis. Uh, the sacrificial lamb whose blood was painted on the door frames of the Hebrew people in Egypt that allowed for the judgment of God to pass over their homes because they were covered by the sacrificial spotless blood of a lamb. God's judgment passed over. All of the subsequent animal sacrifices for the coming centuries after that pointed to this spotless lamb hanging on this cross who said, it is finished. Jesus is the spotless slaughtered lamb. He is the high priest. He is the great high priest who makes atonement 
for his people. He fulfills scripture. He is, beloved, the temple of God. Where God dwells and meets with his people. He is the temple. You're in Christ. Therefore, you too are that temple. He's the temple of the living God. He is the God-man. And he's the God who came to bring God and man back together. He fulfills these prophetic promises. You know, it's blasphemous to think, beloved, that a physical temple will be rebuilt so as to re-offer sacrifices on an altar? What, we're going to go backwards? Are we going to go backwards? The substance has come. Christ has come. The Lamb has come. We don't go back to signs and symbols. Amen? He fulfills it all. It is finished. Number two, it is finished in that he fulfilled the law of God. He fulfilled the law. Everything God's law required, he perfectly obeyed the Ten Commandments, the the civil law of Israel, the ceremonial laws of Israel, all the while constantly, continually, moment by moment, second by second, submitting himself to the will of the Father all the way along. From the womb to the tomb. He fulfilled the law. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Luke chapter 2 tells us that Jesus, as a boy, he grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and man. How did he grow in favor with God? Because he came down to be the God-man. Eternal existing, second, second person of the Godhead, became a man. And he grew in wisdom and favor, God and man. The law just doesn't go away, amen? No. He says, I fulfill it. His behavior through and through, every moment of life, he lived a perfectly righteous, honorable life before God the Father. That is finished. So that those who cannot and will not, that's us, that's us. Okay, it is finished for us so that we can be joined together with Jesus. We're in union with Jesus by faith. If you're here and you trust in Jesus Christ by faith, you're in union with him. Therefore, God recognizes you as righteous. You get that? It is Finish. You are declared right in the eyes of God. It's finished. So God sees you, the believer, as a righteous person. Not because we measure up, amen? Not because we've proven ourselves. It's because Jesus did it all perfectly. He upheld God's law. So Jesus, his answer to any self-deception that one could possibly measure up for, or for anyone who might think that my meaning and my identity before God is well-suited to stand before God. I am, little I am that I am. No. No. My ways are good. I, I get so tired of hearing people. I'm a good person. My ways are good. I'm good. 
you know, it's, it's prostitutes and drug dealers that need Jesus. You know, I, I don't need to sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound saved a wretch like me, because I am no wretch. I had a woman say that to me once when I did her husband's funeral. I said, we'll sing Amazing Grace. Oh, no. Oh, no. He, her husband, he was no wretch. Woman, you're blind. You're blind. You can't do this. You'll never stand and say it is finished. Only one can say it is finished. He said it. Third thing. It is finished. That is the preaching of the gospel through the human mouth of Jesus Christ. Through the human mouth of Jesus Christ is finished. Did you get that? Through his mouth here on earth. In Luke 4, verse 18, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, he has extended that gospel because he is the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. He has extended the proclamation of the gospel and he extended it then to all who had ears. Now he extends it through his apostles, and his apostles have passed it on to us. And we proclaim the same truth. We preach Christ crucified. So on the cross, having preached his last sermon on earth, said it is finished and made perfect atonement for us. It's finished. You know, when John the Baptist was in prison, and he was scratching his head in a moment of doubt... You know, he's sitting there, and in Matthew 11, we read that he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them. Now, Jesus did not run to John and and, and coddle him and hold him and say, big fella, settle down. It's me. I am the promised one. No. Jesus answered them. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. What did he send back with him? Scripture. The written word of God. And then notice also in that same chapter, Notice what he said to the little villages and the towns that rejected him. Matthew 11, this is striking. And many of you, some of you perhaps, have never really seen this before. Now, he goes through these places and he says, Woe to you, this town, that town. He says, I tell you, it would have been more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than it will be for you. The promised one has come, in other words. I've done these miracles in your sight. You've heard me proclaim my gospel. I am the gospel. You don't believe me. You reject me. Woe to you on judgment day. And then, at that time, here's what Jesus declared. Father, he prays this. Father, I thank you, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, 
For such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone, don't miss this, to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. That's a sovereign declaration. What are you going to do with that? And then to those who he reveals himself, he invites, come to me, all you who, are la- who labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Those tormented in their soul who think they have to measure up and know they can't, come to me. There's the invitation. He is the sovereign one. He always was. He always will be. Number four, by Jesus dying on the cross, saying it is finished, he declares, one thing we know is finished, is that he covers our crimes and he removes our corruption. Because you're corrupt. I'm corrupt. We've committed crimes against the living God. And Jesus saying it is finished, he's covered them all. Isn't it beautiful? It's great. That's what it is to be redeemed. Okay, You are a redeemed people. No one else in the universe can provide redemption for sinners. There's only one, and he's the one who said it is finished. Bowed his head. Gave up his spirit. Ephesians 1 verse 7. In him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his, say it beloved, grace. Unmerited favor. According to his grace. Redemption. Okay, that term has to do with paying a required ransom to release a prisoner. So that was paid for on the cross by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He gave up his life to pay that debt. And to whom was that debt owed? And don't you dare say Satan. To God. To God. The Father. He paid this debt. It is finished. That is the price that was paid for every one of God's elect. Redemption. Paid, redemption given, redemption provided through his blood. You're redeemed. It is finished. Done. You you can't earn it, man. He's done it all. Fifthly, it is finished. Means that he alone, Jesus Christ alone, completely satisfies the wrath of God against us and our sin. Jesus Christ alone, when he said it is finished, fully satisfies God's wrath against sin and the sinner. And as I said a hundred times before, he does not judge sin apart from sinners. Because who sins? Sinners. (laughs) Jesus on the cross received all of God's punishment for all the sins of all who were given to the Son as a gift from the Father. It is finished. He paid it all for you. Now, God's wrath does indeed burn hot this very moment, and it currently abides on the heads of men and women who do not have faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. God's wrath burns against them. You know before you were in Christ, God's wrath burned against you? Yeah, I know you were divinely chosen and elect and all that, but before you were actually born again, the wrath of God was upon you. 
deserving of judgment. Now, did there come a time in your life, I hope, that you realized that God's wrath burns against you? And then when you came into the faith by way of regeneration of your heart, you learn from the scriptures that his wrath has moved from you. It was placed upon his son, and it is finished. Are you here today, Christian, I'm talking to Christians, and and do you ever sit down and do you ever feel that God's wrath is burning hot against you? If you do, or let me say when you do, remember, it is finished. His wrath does not burn against you. His wrath was perfectly quenched where? On the cross in his son. So it can't come up again. It's done. It's finished. So Christian, and I'm speaking to Christians, if you lay your head down at night and you think that God's wrath, he's ready to crush you, he already crushed his son. It's finished. So that is a lie of the devil. And the devil, as we're going to realize and learn here in a minute, if I have enough time, has no power over you, man. Zero. Unless you give it to him. That's right. He alone has fulfilled all of God's demands upon, on our behalf. He has cleansed us from our sin. Listen to Romans 3. We, believers, the church, we are justified, which means declared free from all blame, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Jesus Christ, whom God, the Father that is, put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Propitiation, what does it mean, children? What does it mean, children? Propitiation. What does propitiation mean? Somebody help me out. Satisfaction. Very good. God's wrath is perfectly satisfied. God's wrath is perfectly propitiated by way of his son. So God, the Father, put him forward as a propitiation by his blood. His blood was shed to satisfy his wrath. It is finished. 1 John 2, 2. He, Christ, is the propitiation for our sins. His, he is. 1 John 4.10, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, God the Father, and sent his son to be propitiation for our sins. Don't ever think of Jesus or picture Jesus is pleading to the Father, please love them, Father. The Father so loved that he gave his son and provided him his propitiation, satisfaction for your sin and his wrath against your sin. It's finished. It's finished. He doesn't sit there with a scowled brow ready to crush you. He already crushed his son. If you're not in Christ, he has a scowled brow, and you better beware because you may be crushed and go to hell. Flee to Christ on Good Friday. That's how good it is. Sixthly, it is finished means full reconciliation is granted to you in Christ. You've been reconciled to God through Christ. You're actually brought near to God. No more symbolisms. No, no more symbolism. No more signs. No more shadows. You can, right, the, 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 the temple curtain or the curtain that, that separated the holy from holies in the holy place was rent asunder from what? Top to bottom, not bottom to top. God tore it open. And we can enter in now to the presence of God. We have the resident presence of the Holy Spirit. We can enter in. We can 
barge into, if you will, the presence of Almighty God because of our mediator, Jesus Christ. It's finished. You need no more earthly priest. You need call no one on this earth father. You need call no one on this earth rabbi. He is your great high priest. It's finished. No more signs, no more symbols, no more ceremonies. It's done. You're no longer alienated from God. Colossians 1.21, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, i.e. all of us, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order, here it is, to present you holy, blameless, above reproach. You know what that means? Above reproach before God. That means that there's no valid accusation that can be held against you because you're in Christ who said, it is finished. I did it for them, for the glory of you, Father, on behalf of the sheep that you've given me. Number seven. It is finished means that he's conquered every one of our enemies. Sin. Death and the devil. That's why the scripture says no believer will taste death. Your body will what? It'll die. But to be absent from the body is to be immediately present with the Lord. Those who are not in Christ, their body will die and then they will experience the second death. And that is eternal conscious suffering under the what? The wrath of God. To reject Christ is to pay for your own sin, to bear God's wrath forever. That's been removed. He's conquered sin, death, and the devil. Jesus alone has overcome the world. Jesus said, I've overcome the world. The world, its system, its philosophy, it can't touch you. It can't control you. It can't defeat you. It cannot ruin you. Now, as I said earlier, you might submit to worldliness You might submit to the strategies of the devil, but he and the world are no longer your master. Sin was your master. You're no longer mastered by sin. You can't be controlled or possessed by the devil. You can't, Christian, you cannot be possessed by a demon. And if anyone's ever taught you that, you go back and in love, tell them they're a fool. Because... Possession has to do with what? Ownership. And on the cross, he purchased you, he owns you, he resides in you, so no demon can possess you. Christ made a public spectacle of Satan in all demonic powers and forces of evil through the shed blood and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's finished. Amen on that? Know that. There are a lot of fools out there who teach otherwise. It's folly. Run to the scripture, beloved. It is finished. Yes, he could lie. And yes, you can submit your will to listen to lies. But that's why we're to continually wash our mind in the word of God. It's finished. Finally, If you just put all these together, 
it is finished means Jesus has once and for all saved us. See, when Jesus died on the cross that day and said, it is finished, that doesn't mean he was merely making salvation possible, beloved. That means he was making it certain for you who are in Christ. Not just the potential of it, not just the beginning of it, but all of it, sealed, signed, sealed, delivered, right there on that day, he said it's finished. All right? It's done. Listen to this. Okay, so on that day, in the mind of God, you were justified, sanctified, and glorified. Okay? Prove it. All right, I will. Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, the enmity's been removed. God's not mad at you. You have peace with God, right? So that's justification. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. That's sanctification. Set apart, positionally, he's continually working in you to conform you to the image of his son. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There's salvation, past, present, future. You get that? Justification, sanctification, glorification, all described right there. And then when we jump down to verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, that is on that cross, much more shall we save by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, okay, you were an enemy of God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And his life is wrought where? In you. His life is wrought where? In you. He dwells in you. Sins have been taken away. God's wrath has been satisfied. And we, beloved, are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Okay? You have it all. So salvation includes all of these. Divine election, you know, predestination. And Well, I don't believe in predestination. Well, start believing. Start believing. Ephesians 1, listen to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as, okay, Listen to me. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Okay? In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of whose will? His. His will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he's blessed us in the beloved. In him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Now Paul goes on, he says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, you remember that day, beloved? 
You remember that, Dave Christian? When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. All of that was done and accomplished when he said, it is finished. All of it. Knowing that in time you would hear the gospel and believe because he predestined you to believe. It is finished. The world says, religion says, you have to earn it. You have to measure up. You have to strive. You have to prove yourself. So these people who, who adhere to these religious practices, these particular liturgies, whatever it is, fill in the blank, it's easy for them to feel proud and look down upon others who are not as pious as they are. Self-righteousness. So people like that are constantly living, and I was reminded of this by a wonderful article in Table Talk magazine this month. I don't know if it's next month's or this month's. People who live like that are constantly wondering, and I quote, if they've done enough to be accepted by God. That's what religion does. Have I done it? And you know what the result is? The writer goes on to say, when you live like that and you think like that, you actually hate the God you claim to love because you're always trying to measure up. No, it is finished. He did it all. Now what do we do? Well, how do we live now in response to such love? We live in response. We live in response to grace, which is unmerited favor. See, many people in this day, they think religion says, if you want eternal life, you have to earn it. Self-renewal means self-approval. I have to love myself first. No, you love yourself enough. You need to get over yourself. That's our problem. I just have to love the man in the mirror. Get away from him and run to Christ, the one who said it's finished. And then other people say, I have to change my ways. I have to change my ways so I can be accepted in my last breath. Your ways will not do it. Your ways will not do it. Changing your ways cannot atone for your sin. Changing your ways will not provide reconciliation between you and this living almighty God. You can't change your ways. You have to submit by faith and trust in this God who said it is finished, for he is the way. He's the way. He's the way. Oh, he'll change you. He'll change you. He'll do that. But thinking that you change your ways to be right with him, you can't atone for that. Atonement's been made. It is finished. It can't be earned. Grace and truth come in Jesus Christ alone, and it came at a great price, and that price was the cross. And now he holds it out freely as a gift to be what? Received by faith because it's finished. So to to conclude, what does it mean when it says it's finished? Here are some things. All was fulfilled that prophecy predicted, successful. All the things that had to be accomplished according to God's law, fulfilled, successful. All things were brought to pass. That means all the types All the shadows that were foretold, all the feasts, all the ceremonies, all the Sabbaths, they find their fulfillment in Christ. He is our Sabbath Sabbath rest. He is our temple. Success. It means the work of redemption is done. All things were accomplished that the Father gave the Son to do, fully successful. All things that were needed to be performed were performed perfectly, successful. 
Nothing was left. The ransom was paid. The conflict was endured by the son. Successful. The wages of sin were paid. Divine justice was satisfied. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. Rest your head on that truth tonight, on this Good Friday. Amen, beloved.